From in the beginning to the musical apocalypse, this is The Bible Says What. I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. God is a bad business owner. The Christian deity is in the soul business. Let's pretend for a moment that Yahweh has a sort of soul shop. People come to his shop to sell him their souls. But Yahweh has a competitor, Satan, who is also in the soul business. Worse yet, he has allowed full access to Yahweh's inventory without limitations. Now, Yahweh, being the smartest being to ever exist, subsequently making him the greatest businessman of all time, decided it would be a good idea to create a business rival. These two soul shop owners work to convince the people of Earth to sell them their souls. We humans are free to shop at either business, but there are repercussions to our shopping choices. You see, the model businessman, our ultimate role model for morality, gets upset when the rival he created on purpose takes the souls from him he knew he would take. The loving Christian deity lashes out irrationally at both his business rival and the customer. He threatens us with eternal hellfire for shopping elsewhere. Could you imagine if any non-fictional business tried that? Shop at Walmart this holiday season, or we'll take your soul and set it on fire for eternity. Threatening your customers is just bad business. Let's start the show. Is there anything in the Bible that you yourself have an issue with? <laughs> okay, so it took you reading the Bible to realize that those things were bad for you? Yeah, it actually did. I, I didn't figure this out on your own? No, Ted, Ted Bundy could be redeemed. God doesn't kill children. What do you think the Passover was? Yahweh sets up a whole system in the Old Testament where you slaughter animals just so he's able to forgive you. Today's special guest is Christian podcaster and life coach, J.J.J. Michael Jakewith. Wow, there you go. I had the J in my head. <sighs> You're golden, man. You're golden. You got this. <laughs> Only on Tuesdays, and unfortunately, it's Saturday. Today's special <laughs> guest is Christian podcaster and life coach Michael Jacobith. Welcome to the show, Michael. <laughs> Michael, I'm so glad to be here. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Oh, man. Well, I'm excited. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Tell us a little bit about what you do. So I am so blessed. I have what I call the best job in the world. And I get to work with men who are stuck, confused, can't make something work in their life. And we figure out what's going on. Clear those obstacles out, get them on the path to what they want to accomplish and find that purpose and meaning. Wow. Thank you. Why did you start that? Uh, well, shortly, the short answer is because the good Lord hit me upside the head with a two by four and said, go do this thing. And I said, why would I want to do that? And God said, because it's better than the other thing. And I said, I'm not sure if I believe you. And so he kind of cranked up the pressure until I eventually said, okay, I'm going. <laughs> I uh, I had, a, I had a pretty nice corporate job with a lot of income, a lot of security, a lot of benefits, and I left all that behind to go entrepreneurial. Wow. Wow. That must have been a pretty big two-by-four. It was. Um, so it was a couple steps to it, and hmm. so I, I don't know how much story you want to get into here, but Started I graduated off, with my PhD in chemistry from Cornell. I yeah. was in 2008. Stock market's crashing. I was sure I'd work in the Midwest. Nope. Went out to work for an Intel research engineer. Loved it. Had a blast. Was there almost seven years. Some stuff started going down. They offered a voluntary separation package. Hopped over to Micron. Was there almost two years. But when I was working for Micron, excuse me, I, I had what I called the world's worst boss. 
Hmm. And this was the guy who you have to hide your resources from him because he would just randomly take them and repurpose them without telling you. This is the guy who would undercut you in front of the boss's boss's meeting just while you're sitting there, just throwing him the bus for something he did. Wow. Like it was, it was rough, right? Yeah. And so I start doing this thing where like I kind of took over his group and he didn't know it. But I oh. was the one who was mentoring his group secretly. And like they would meet with me to actually make real decisions. And I really loved it. So much like so one of the guys there after I left the company, he was still meeting with me for two years and, and, and occasionally come to social events with me after that, just because he valued it so much. And so mm. having a bad boss to work for, that eases you along the process, having a pregnant wife and trying to decide, like, do I really want to leave this corporate security? That's oh. a problem. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was really one of my great testings of faith is I, I really felt called to do that. There's a lot of different reasons why I spent a lot of time in prayer and discernment. And huh. eventually I just really discerned that's what God wanted me to do. And so with great trepidation and tremendous amount of fear and many times having put my foot in my mouth, I went forward to do it. <laughs> well, I, I definitely want to dig into that a little bit more. When you say two oh. by four, I mean, in in in, in prayer, and, and this happened a lot. What was it? A, was it a nudge? Was it a feeling? Was it an actual voice saying, hey, this is probably what you should do. Just quit your job and you know, so let me break this open a little bit here because hmm. uh, we have to get the nitty gritty to really answer yeah. why it's a two by four. So my wife's mother is was at the time in her third marriage, and she had a pattern of picking guys that didn't know how to bring home the bacon consistently. And hmm. that's putting it politely. And hmm. so they were in some financial woes, some pretty serious financial woes, and they had moved into our basement at the time. And on top of that, my wife has this business background. She is super entrepreneurial. Like she's like a level three ultimate entrepreneur. I'm like a level two <laughs> wannabe entrepreneur. And she's just like hardcore entrepreneurial. And she's like, we should buy this business. And then, then I'll run it with my mom's husband. It'll be great. And had all these dreams, right? Well, yeah. we did that and we sunk a tremendous amount of money into this business. And it was a complete and utter train wreck. And mm -hmm. It, it's hard to put words into this, but I'll just put some numbers here a little bit. Hmm. Like we were bleeding five digits money every quarter. It was just hmm. horrific. It was causing her, she was literally trying to pull her own hair out most nights, screaming with how horrible blood this was going. Sounds and like a business top, owner, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm super, like, you know, you always marry your opposite, right? And so I'm super hmm. system, super organized, super like, you know, meticulous kind of personality. Hmm. She's the exact opposite. She's like, We'll be, I don't know if you've seen the movie Enchanted. She's like, she's the one who would say, we shall be married in the morning. <laughs> and at least in the business sense, right? Yeah. And yeah. it turns out that that's a great skill for entrepreneurial stuff in some ways, but mm. you also need the systems. Mm. And so I started running the business while still working at Micron. And this is actually top secret. Don't tell anyone because actually uh -oh. they didn't know at the time. It's long, it's long water, long under the bridge. And <laughs> I actually kind of enjoyed that a little bit. But the real problem was, and what really I was up against was I couldn't do both. And it was becoming increasingly obvious I really couldn't do both. Like maybe yeah. just sketch out a day that I was living. I would get up at about four in the morning. I would then drive 45 minutes to go to where the business was at. I'd yeah. start the crew. I'd get them going. I had to be to Micron by eight. And so once they were going, I'd interface, the interface with the clients, get the business going, go to, I'd show up at work at eight. All right. Yeah. And then throughout the day, two or three times, I'd have to jump into a conference room by myself and take a phone call. That yeah. was, of course, a business call. And then yeah. I'd... In between that, be doing my work for Micron. Well, I get done working Micron about five, maybe five thirty, and I'd go home. Yeah. And then I take over the kids, kind of run some kids stuff, put the kids to bed, go to bed myself, get up and do the same thing. It was a grind. It's unsustainable. Yeah. And on top of this, my wife's pregnant, and and we can get into the pregnancy challenges as well. She was having a rough pregnancy at this point, and 
as I'm doing all this, I, I came before the Lord and I said, God, I can't do this. I'm being ground huh. down to nothing. Like I was just burning the candles at five ends when there's only two ends available. And God said, okay, great. Leave the corporate world. And I said, God, this microphone must not be working. Cause I really thought you just said, leave my safe and secure job. That's actually putting money on the table and go to this other business that actually just bleeds money. Cause you can't have said that to me, God, cause that wouldn't make sense. So the microphone here must just be broken. And God said, no, leave this. Well, the next thing that came along was well, hold on, hold on. That was great. Oh, yeah. That was great. Let's stop right there. Where, where, where you came to God, yeah, because you were exhausted. Understandable. Yes. It's a lot of work. I mean, I know I, I full time job, kids, and this. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. I, I can't imagine what you were doing, and then the pregnant wife on top of it. Holy cow! Um, so when you went to God, He said to quit the corporate job. So how did how He I... say that? Great question. I've never audibly heard the voice of God. Uh, okay. Not never, virtually never. And hmm. some people have that gift. I don't. Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. There's one time, one time, that's a separate story. Uh, it was uh -huh. actually right when my wife and I were on our honeymoon that I believe I heard the voice of God saying, buy her a coffee. But that's a whole long story as well. That's um, a whole, yeah, we'll that one that time. But yeah, let's go to this one. Let's. So you, here's what I did. You heard God, but it, was a, it wasn't an audible voice. So I go to church. And I've got with me my daily readings, some some of my Bible. I've got a piece of paper, and I just and I just literally on my knees in front of uh, as a Catholic, we were in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and I'm sitting there, I'm looking in there, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. I just cannot do this. I need some help here. And so mm -hmm. I took up my pen and my paper, and I just started writing down reason to work for a business, reason to stay with corporate mm -hmm. job. I wrote on a whole ton of reasons, and most of the reasons for say with the corporate job were security, financial stability, predictability, long-term guarantees, and most of the reasons to go with a corporate job were supporting my wife in this really difficult time she's in, supporting huh? the in-laws, supporting the family, being more present oh with the goodness. family, because um, <laughs> the way the micron job is trending, he, I tell you, I remember I said I had the world's worst boss. At one point, he said to me, he said, Michael, I need you to stay longer hours. I said, why is that, boss? He says, well, because you leave early and it looks bad for the other engineers. Like, well, what do you mean? I get all my stuff done. He says, Michael, you get as much done as any two or three of them, but you still leave early. And so it yeah. looks them look bad. And so the higher up bosses are noticing this and they're starting to complain. Now, actually, I think it's just one higher boss, but that's a whole separate story too. And, <laughs> and he, I'm like, well, I don't want to stay late. I've got a family to take care of. He's like, no, hmm. you need to stay late. You're not going to be able to keep this job. I'm like, but I'm getting more done anyways. And he just could not in his brain put that together. He was the most yeah. demotivational person ever. He, he literally thought it'd be better if I stayed longer and got less done because then I'd look more like the other engineers. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So that kind of stuff's going on in the background too. And his boss was also kind of loopy. And his boss's boss's boss, I found out later on, was actually pretty cool and pretty grounded, but he wasn't mm -hmm. brave enough to replace these two boneheads. Yeah. So I write all these things down on this piece of paper, right? And the one hand, I've got reasons to stay corporate, reasons to go entrepreneurial. And I say, you know, boy, all of my real reasons stay corporate about just confidence and security in the world. I want security in money. I want security here. And so I do that game, which I don't recommend, which is you're like, let's just see what the Bible has to say about this. And so hey, I flip over yeah. my daily reader, yeah. right? And by the <laughs> way, the best version of this game is when you say, Lord, what should you flip open? You And there's somewhere, you know, in the back part of the gospel, it says, and Judas went and hung himself. And you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> that's not what I should do. Is that real? And then you flip okay. it open again, you read the letter of St. Peter, where it says, and go forth and do likewise. You're like, whoa, yeah. okay, this game's back going to be hard here right now, right? So don't play that's that. That's the game. voice of God you don't want to listen to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh man, so, that's terrible. The reading of the day is to consider the lilies, consider the, the consider the sparrows, mm -hmm. and they neither weep nor toil, blah blah blah. But God cares oh. for them, takes care of them. And I just realized in that moment, my heart was convicted to say, "I'm choosing the security of the world and rejecting that which God has for me here." 
And it was a, it was an emotional experience and an intellectual experience at once. When I realized, I looked down at this piece of paper and saw every reason on their corporate job was because I was putting my faith and my confidence and my stability in myself and the things of the world. Hmm. Faith in stable job. Absolutely. Which, so, hey, I got nothing wrong with a stable job, folks. If, if you're in a stable job right now, don't throw it away just for the sake of throwing it away. Well, I mean, we can go to Matthew, what is it, 1921, Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, uh, and you know, give and everything people, you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And if the, Jesus says that to you specifically, by all means, I recommend you follow. But that is the, not the universal calling. How is that not universal? It, it uh, says specifically in there just to do it. It doesn't say only a few of you do it. So how do you, but, how do you view that? But look at the context. Who, to whom hmm. is he addressing when he says that? He's addressing one specific individual. And furthermore, when he has opportunity, he has ample opportunity to repeat that, uh, that instruction to others. It is never repeated in that way. There are a couple of individuals he does say something like that, which is you, specifically you, hmm. sell everything and do this thing. Hmm. But for example, he doesn't require that of the apostles. And for example, we know that Simon Peter is married. And what? And so he must own. Hmm. He's wife. talking to. He's here. not required to sell that off. What was that? I don't. I said I don't, I don't know who he's talking to here. I'd have to look at the context. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe um, it's called a rich young man. And the, if, if I remember the context correctly, the rich man young comes up to him and says, "You know what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven?" And Jesus says, "Follow all the commandments all the days of your life." And he's, the young man says, I, "I've done that." And Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, "Yes." And now sell everything you have and go give it all to the poor and come and follow me. So and the man was very sad. Kid. That's in the context there, like if, let me use a, a maybe a good example. There's a buddy of mine named Travis here, right? Uh -huh. And recently Travis and I had a conversation about what Travis should do. Travis is a salesman. I told Travis, I think you should go work for this company and sell stuff for this company. And he's doing that now, actually. It's working out great for him. But I don't know a guy named Matthew. Matthew is the exact opposite of salesman. He's a free spirit. He would not uh -huh. thrive in the sales activity, right? And so I'm going to give Travis instructions for what I think Travis should do. And Matthew gets something different. But he's just talking to this one rich young man. And there's so many people that people, Jesus encounters in the Bible, he does not give that instruction to. So let's do this then. What about love one another? Uh, love your neighbors. Absolutely. Jesus gives that to specific Define... people. He doesn't give that to everybody. So how can uh, we he... tell which parts are for who and, and why? Because understand the question there. I'm going to use change that ever so slightly to one that is more generalized, which is hmm. when the Pharisees test Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment to the law? And Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, mind, and soul, strength, whatever. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. And in that case, he's clearly making a statement that, that goes far beyond his immediate audience. Because the question was, generically, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And so he's not asking, he's not asked like, Lord, what should I do? The young man said, Lord, what should I singular do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And the Pharisees say, what is the greatest commandment of the law? The law applies to everyone at the time. And so the context there was very clearly different. Is that Scotty? I, I have to see. Did I just see Scotty move right there? <laughs> it is Scotty. Nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, now I have to check this. You know, I've got, now I've got to like look into this Matthew here. Matthew 19 to make sure our shenanigans are all in order here. Matthew and, 19. And I'm going off memory here. So I, I'm, yeah, I no, totally same. have some parts That's why I've just got snippets. I don't have like the full context here that I recall off the top of my head. So Matthew 19, he talks about divorce, um, the little children in Jesus. Verse 19 to 21, the rich and young man, now a man, came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Jesus replied, blah, 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 and all the way down. All these things I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? What does he still yeah. lack to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. 
That sounds like a pretty direct order to to in general. If you want to, oh, so we have to go to the Greek here. And one of the yeah. oddities of English is our second person pronoun is the same pronoun for both singular and plural. It's uh -huh. drives me. There's a number of things about the English language that drive me nuts. <laughs> this is one of many. It's a ridiculous uh, another, language, is for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's so <laughs> crazy. Um, but what we do have is the first person as a difference mm. between singular and plural. And the young man asks, what do I, cause I pulled up the same version you're looking at. I love what it. do I still lack? Okay. And that wouldn't that be general singular. for everybody. Um, if that man is still lacking something that gets him into heaven, then everybody is still lacking that thing to get them in heaven. Correct. Uh, not necessarily at all. My wife lacks very different things than I lack. <laughs> we're not going to get there. We're not going to go there. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, you know, when it comes to what we're lacking, my list is longer, darker, and different. Oh, man. But, I mean, as it sounds to me, it sounds like it's an in general thing. Just like the love your neighbor thing. It's an in general thing. It's a, it's for but everybody. But the context it's is not so just for different. That Why would he, he tell ask... that one person to do that then? Just because that, that one person guy. came to him individually. Let me use another example. Uh, there's okay. a there's the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees drag him before them, and mm -hmm. they say, "Teacher, according to the law, we, this woman should be stoned." And he yeah, leans that, down yeah. and writes in the dust. And we have no idea what he writes in the dust. No 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 scripture records what's written. It doesn't really matter for mm -hmm. the sake of this. And he keeps writing. They all walk away, and mm -hmm. then he looks at the woman and he says, "Is there woman? Is there none here who condemn you?" And she says, "No, there's none." Then he says, "Go forth and do not sin anymore." He's yeah. giving her specific instructions for her. In yeah. the same way, so we're, the we can sin. We can sin. Is that what you're telling me? Since he was just telling that woman not to sin, we're okay. Um, it doesn't preclude. If oh. I were to tell Travis to get a job for the certain spot, it's not a universal <laughs> thing for all people in this either direction. Travis guy, I tell you, it neither neither precludes nor mandates the rest of the world. It's it's a null statement. So, Travis does something at the job. Let's okay. say Travis pushes the red button. We've told everybody don't push the red button. Travis pushes <laughs> yeah. the red button. He's, I'm laughing. Travis, he's the guy who might do that. <laughs> Travis, you're fired. Please yep. never push the red button again. Somebody else comes along, pushes the red button. Well, shit. That was for everybody. Everybody, come on. Obviously, let's not push the red button. Just like the woman in the whale. She's obviously sinned. Jesus doesn't want everybody to sin anymore. That's kind of the same way I feel with this. It kind of goes, then there's Luke 12, 33, that kind of coincides with the same thing. Uh, sell your possessions and give to the mm, needy, yes. provide yourselves yep. with money bags uh, that do not grow old. In other words, don't have a bank account, I guess, savings. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, with a treasure in the, in the heavens that does not fail. So, you, you know, treasure in heaven versus treasure so on earth. But let me ask you, this is a great example there because yeah. you know, so the, the plural that you used in that, sell, sell for yourself. Provide yourselves. And, Right. And so there's a plural built in there that, that expands beyond the singular to the man. And I would say that as a principle, that is something that's directed to all of us, which is mm -hmm. in general, it is better to have our wealth stored in heaven, which was actually. But he was talking to the disciples, though, at that time. So wouldn't that just and be so for I the would disciples? Say if, you want to read, if you read it that way, I would not take it wrong. But he also includes that in his uh, Sermon on the Mountain. Huh. Blessed are the poor. Mm -hmm. And so there is something there that, that the Sermon on the Mountain, for example, is clearly directed to everyone. And you see this because it's uh, there were thousands of people there present. And so he had the opportunity to, you know, say something quietly beforehand. He so chose to say the things of the sermon to the general crowds. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Love it. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs> no, absolutely. Let's keep going. This is fun. <laughs> um, so back to the voice of oh, yeah, faith and stable versus Jesus. That's kind of where we were at. Faith and stable yes. job versus Jesus. Um, now, what happened once you felt 
I, I can't remember what you said. You felt the need to do it or, or certain this things conviction. happened and yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then you wanted to, to do this other thing. And now what, what happened afterwards? Go ahead, sir. So what happens when Abraham leaves his homeland? This is a great analogy here, right? So Abraham's oh. got all the security. Oh. His family is super wealthy. He has all the people behind him. And God comes up to Abraham and says, I want you to leave the Urdia, the land of your family, and go forth the land that I will show you. And Abraham's like, dude, that sucks. I don't want to do that. God says, do it. He says, fine. I'm taking insurance to policy called Lot with me. By the way, God, which got explicitly forbid, but he does it anyway. So that comes back to bite him, of course. And the first thing that happens to Abraham, stuff gets real. He goes to Egypt. They try to steal uh. his wife. He, so he just lies and calls her his sister. Like all hmm. these challenges come up for Abraham. And I think it's important to know because when God calls us to do something, he doesn't promise it's going to be easy, nor was it easy in my case. It sucked. And so hmm. there is still lots of tears, still lots of frustration, still lots yeah. of difficulties. But by the grace of God, we turned the company around. It did start making money. Not a lot. Hmm. Like I'm not using that to go to retirement. In fact, we were, we, we celebrated my wife and I, when we just hit the spot where we actually were black for a month hmm. for overall there instead of red. That's well, congrats That's on huge. that. That's huge, right, yeah. Right? <laughs> it's not easy for everybody. Uh, but how do you know it was God specifically that, and not your own thinking, hey, this this sounds like a good idea. Maybe this could make money. Maybe if I do this and this and this, I can make it do this. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But do you think that maybe totally. that had some kind of play in it? Um, first off, I think it's always right to question that about oneself. Mm -hmm. uh, let me use the word no for a second. I want to I want to go into that word because we use that word in modern another word in the English language, which I think is kind of jacked up. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, God created his man, heaven and earth, and God creates Adam and Eve, and Adam knew Eve, and Eve begot a son. Huh. I'm hoping that gets you an idea of the knowledge of how biblically knowledge meant here. When Adam knew Eve and the son came around, like, okay, we, we got a sense, you know, as a mod, as an adult, I got it, I got a picture in my mind. Yeah, there's okay. a little brown chicken, brown cow going on right there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So knowledge, knowing in the biblical sense is this thorough intermixing, this intermingling, this, this, if I were to know you, we'd be so connected that I could predict what you're going to do. Now you're a wonderful man. I've met you obviously here just recently. Oh, and so I would say, I don't really know you, yeah. but when you asked me, how did you know it was God, which you're really kind of trying to fish out there is what was your confidence in it? I'm a scientist by, by background. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if I say with a 60% confidence margin, I believe that yeah. this was God. Yeah. And if I were to guess, I'd put about an 85 to 90% confidence interval. And what, what is the reasoning behind that 85%? Because that's a high number. That's a pretty high, a high number. He didn't hear a voice. Um, he didn't say, this is God telling you to do this. From so, a science standpoint, it's actually not that high of a number. Um, that's insufficient, actually, to promote statistical decisions to base off. Like, if I were a pharmacist, but I'd you made a, a decision I, based on I did. You're right. Totally. But I doubted myself. That's what I'm going to hmm. say is there was doubt in my heart. I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah. Of course, there was doubt. The reason why I was that high is because the reasons I wrote on the paper aligned so well with what the teachers of the church said to not place your faith in. Don't place your faith in money. And even little mm -hmm. things like the alignment of what the in-laws needed, the alignment of what my wife needed, the alignment of how the job at Micron was going, the alignment of, oh, I forgot to mention one other really important part. Right after I, I was made that paper, Micron announced a gigantic voluntary separation package as oh. part of a voluntary downsizing oh. program. And oh. so that was a sweet little chunk of, it's like four or five months pay, ka-chunk. <laughs> and I was like, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. And so that, that's well, that would have been nice. Too. Why didn't God tell you about that one? Just stay a little bit longer, Michael, and then you'll get oh, no, this no, chunk. No, no, I got it. I qualified your... for it. Okay, okay, good, good. Okay. I, it's right after I wrote the paper that okay. he announced it. I hadn't told the boss yet. <laughs> so God did help you out in that, apparently. He did, he did. He I didn't know that at the time I was my paper. 85% sure is it, though. But let me perhaps put it, let me turn this question on his head. Yeah. How sure are you that the city of Rome 
is mm. actually, you know, geographically where it is. Have you ever visited it? That doesn't matter to me. Okay. Honestly. How sure how sure are you that Biden's the current president? Pretty sure. I would Why? go with 99% sure because of everything that I see here and experience. I don't want to go down too far down the conspiracy holes. I know there are those <laughs> who make a claim otherwise and could present yeah. evidence. Well, we're not end. talking about but them. We're not going to go over there. My right only now. point yeah. to say is that as humans, we live with uncertainty. Everything you know about history is something that you've heard here say. 99% of what you know about the world in general is something that you gain right. from external sources. Levels of uncertainty. Uh, a certain certain certainty there's the word levels yeah. of certainty so yeah of course like there's levels of certainty for that but why do you have that 85 percent level of certainty and then what is the 15 percent doubt like what is that consisting of so recently our hot water heater broke and oh, i sucks, talked to the plumber man. oh it's so painful so oh, don't get me sorry this stupid thing i had to actually replace <laughs> the bloody thing is one part one eight hundred dollar part in the oh. that was designed to fail died oh. and it took 12 hours to redo the repair and so when he finally figured out what it was he's like you're literally cheaper to scrap this and buy a new one i was like it's yeah. three years old dude it's three years old i was so mad anyways that's this whole separate understandable yeah. and as I'm talking to the plumber, he's like, well, I'm pretty confident that it's this other part that's wrong, but there's a chance it's not. It could be this one super expensive part. We won't know mm -hmm. until we go in this far, which mm -hmm. is totally reasonable. He was a good dude. Like, I'm not trying to speak poorly of the plumber at all. Mm -hmm. But he based that confidence statement off of what he had read about this unit from this manufacturer, off of his conversations with other plumbers who had installed this type of unit. And like we just we go about as humans and we gather data in subtle little ways and we assemble that data into how do we want to wait it? And I don't think he actually gave me a an exact percentage. I think he said something like, it's probably this one part, small chances of the part. He didn't he didn't numericalize it. I'm a scientist, so I love putting numbers yeah. on things, right? But if I were to say to you, I was pretty confident this, but I had room for doubt. But that's the human experience for everything. When I was trying to decide to get married, I was pretty confident, but there was room for a doubt. In fact, I remember the best man, and on my uh, the night before my wedding, I was with my best man, we were drinking scotch. And he looks me in the eye and says, Michael, are you sure about this? I paused for a second. This is actually a story I don't think I've told before anyone. This is, your, this is the first time the story is getting out there. And I said, oh, uh, Nathan, I, I'm not. And he said, good. If you said anything else, I knew you were lying. Oh, yes. No one is sure about it. <laughs> nice job. Nice job. And I, I see your point, though. I, I do see your point. But if we want to know these things, we can by testing them out or, sure. in the case of the water heater, looking and, and <laughs> seeing which parts are broken. Um, when it comes to God and that 85% that we know it was God talking to you, we can't look into that. We can't dive into it further. There's no way of, you know, really researching that or or scientifically diving into it and, and nitpicking it and pulling it apart. I mean, it, it's just a thought. I don't know. what what how does but that's, that work that's more you? true than you think for most things. Um Let's say, for example, I'm having some car troubles. I'm in a long car drive. I'm like, well, do I think the car is going to make it or should I stop here and try to get help here? And let's pretend I stop and get help. I'll never really know if I would have made it because I might have, but I don't really know if the car would have made it. Does that make sense? Like, it's it's generally true that the path we leave untested, I'll, I'll even throw my marriage on the bus here. And I'm not saying that I'm unhappy in my marriage, but for example, had, well, this might be a dangerous one. I might get in trouble for this. But <laughs> had I chosen to marry someone else, had I chosen to not marry, let's say that night Nathan looks mm -hmm. me in the eye and says, are you sure? And I said, no, this is a mistake. I'm out of it. Yeah, Maybe I would have found someone better. Maybe I wouldn't have. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that whole path remains untested and untestable. There's uh -huh. a number of decisions in our life where once we make a decision, we commit, we burn the other path. We'll never know what's on that other path. So is God untestable? Not God is not untestable, but many of the specific paths are. Yeah, paths are definitely untestable unless you go test them. 
Um, sure. But but the, the fact that it's God doing this or saying this or wanting you to do that, how can we test that? So here's one way to test. Hmm. God promises us that when hmm. we follow his path, we will find peace of heart, that we will find not what we seek necessarily, hmm. but... Our, our Lord says, you know, I am meek, humble heart, for my burden is light. And light is a funny word there, because actually a lot of those people who follow God suffer horribly. And so it's clearly not just a he likes the easy suffering. life. Right. Um, gosh, there's some stories of the saints, you know, the ones who like are being grilled on one side who say, I'm done on this side. Flip me over for the other side. Right. Like, there's some there's some there's some folks that they've had it rough. Oh, my goodness. Or like some of the Vietnamese. <laughs> they did Korean it themselves. Saints. They chose this path. That's that's yeah. the weird thing for me. I, I, I can't like choosing the path of harming myself for an invisible person. Uh, I would say allowing myself to be harmed is slightly different, but yes. Planes into the, to the trade center. I mean, there's all kinds of people that do things well, for their invisible friend, essentially. Yeah. And, and I, would I, argue, I think that scares me. Let's, let's look at the planes, the train center there for a second. Let's, that's a great example. Let's pull that one up. Yeah. yeah. I think when we look at that, do we see the peace that comes from, do we, what is the fruit of that? How do we see, how do we test the, the fruit of God? When you see the martyrs, Take a look at the Korean martyrs. The Korean mm -hmm. martyrs, the Japanese martyrs, both of them, were killed in horrific ways. Like those folks over there, no, I'm not trying to be culturally insensitive. Some of them really know how to torture you. Like there's some yeah, rough ways yeah. to go down, yeah. right? And some of those martyrs, it got to experience the full brutality of those rough ways. And so from like an objective worldly perspective, that sucks. Like if, if I want to go somewhere, like, you know, I've actually kind of thought that if I prayed that if when I'm old, I want God to just let me go on this elk hunt, see the biggest bull in my life, pull the trigger, and then just die of hypothermia right there. Because that's it. That's the end of it, right? <laughs> anyway, separate story. That's yeah. a good death in my mind. <laughs> I mean, the Catholic Church has got their own little history of torture as well. Oh, for sure. Fight sure. a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's People can be very rough. But and they did the it in the name of God, though, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. No, the, the name of God can be abused much by just like any other name. Hmm. We can do something in the name of Biden to be just as easily wrong as we do in the name of God. Not, not to huh. pull out too easy of a target here. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I don't know how fruit. that's an easy target, but go ahead. <laughs> look at the fruit of the Korean martyrs. Look at the fruit of the Japanese martyrs. And where they died, where the powers to be, where the government exercised tremendous effort to squash and crush the faith, the church has spread ever more. And the church has actually flourished the most, so much so that one of the lines of the church fathers is, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, what, what about the blood they leave in their church. wake, though? The blood they leave in their wake to to dominate the religious field, essentially. Sure, sure. Like that? let's take the Crusades. Great, like I mean, that's probably the easiest example. Is there? Or do you have a different example in mind? I don't know. Salem witch trials. I mean, I mean, there's sure, there's, a, totally. there's a lot of them. There's a lot of horrible things that have been done in the name of religion. Recently, oh, you've got all those 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 children in Canada. I don't even want to talk about that. That whole thing. I, that's I, like, I know that's, that's so a dark much. One. And there and is, of course, on God ordained these people essentially into these Did positions he? they'll tell you how, that how, why do you say that they will tell you that, that. exactly I, I so how do we know they didn't tell you get ordained <laughs> well spider-man's the true god here but we'll talk about that okay later. fair enough so yeah. how, how do we yeah. know the difference though between these guys that essentially said the same thing that you're telling me how do we know they they'll probably 85 90 percent accurate and then how do we know who did what does Look at their fruit. Does their faith linger? Does the fruit come? The fruit. Because there's one man. There's Explain one the man. Um, Look at the fruit. When you say that, what do you mean? Here's a great story. Uh, yeah. When um, um, Emperor, oh, the Emperor of France, pulling a blank on his name, 
oh they just put the movie about the guy um napoleon that's the word thank you that's whenever napoleon guy. first came to power <laughs> he wrote a letter to the bishops of the church and he said dear bishops i require the church to support me or else i will destroy you all and the bishops wrote a letter back that said dear emperor we've been trying to destroy the church ourselves for two thousand years good luck and Essentially, an awesome response. <laughs> it really shows that despite all of the horrible atrocities, and look, we've had our own set of atrocities in recent days regarding the church of all sorts of different flavors. They're mm. a drop in the bucket if you look historically. Like, there's so mm. many. Yeah. The history of humanity is the it history of atrocity. Stop. It doesn't. It's because we're all yeah. fallen. We're all sinful. And that is the history. That's true of the Catholic Church. That's true of the Protestant Church. That verse long back to 1500. That's true of the Orthodox Church. That's true of Muslims. That's true of everybody. Mm. Mm -hmm. all all groups whatever label you put on them they've committed horrible atrocities unless Humans. they're so new they haven't had a chance yet human yeah <laughs> but don't worry the scientology is working on its way it's, it's getting there. i'm it's sure got, it's uh, in, the in the bank already but yeah it's getting there so but yeah, that's universal and so here's what i would say take a look at the other ones which ones linger despite the despite all these horrible things what do you mean linger? i mean despite Linger. Um, the church has been unbroken for two thousand years in this world. The church makes every other institution in the world look young. I mean, there's the Chinese people. Mm -hmm. they, they actually well, linger. Pretty Islam long. actually came Culturally. before the church. So no, 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 no. The writings of Muhammad are afterwards because Muhammad refers to Jesus. No, is Islam itself came before Christianity and before it's it's the oldest religion we have is Islam. All right, I'm, but not I'm, Islam. I'm, sorry, it's uh, not... uh, Hinduism is the oldest religion. Sorry. Hinduism. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Islam, I was pretty sure it was not. Sorry, no, I, I'm just all over the place right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, that's my normal. But life. yeah. No, so I have to fully confess, I actually don't know much about Hinduism. Hmm. And so I'm I'm not well educated in that to dive into that. However, that it said did come before, I would say though. Let's take a look at the fruit of it. And I think it is worthy of nothing else. Looking and saying, what is the fruit here? Is there goodness here? What are the claims of it? Are the claims consistent? Are the claims worthy of further consideration? And if you okay, tell so me that goodness that long, is part of the fruits. Um uh, and, and self-consistency and what do you mean by self-consistency like there's a not changing in the north mythologies in the north mythologies there is a record of i'm forgetting the name of him boy i'm not on names tonight of you a man who died okay. and was resurrected later afterwards and the resurrection theme Odin. in the norse mythologies yeah there you go predates Wednesday. the christian resurrection theme was that wednesday they also odin, call him wednesday yeah. Yeah, yeah odin's day yeah 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 odin's day yeah yeah so that predates and, that Okay. And so, but look at the nature of the story. And I call it a mythology, not trying to be offensive, but because I think most people at this point would call that a mythology. Yeah, and yeah. it's generic. It's somewhere in the past at some location. And yeah. the beauty of the Christian religion is written in the very first words of Luke in this particular year, in this particular reign, in this person's particular reign, in this particular city, which still exists today. There's, there's a concreteness in it. Even the old Testament, we see a concreteness in the religion. And again, it's physical places. It's real places and real times, gotcha. and it's things that actually really happen to be verified oh, outside so, of it. So is Spider-Man, though. Spider-Man lives I, in New I, York, I, man. He's saving lives right now. He's probably fighting know, space I, aliens. This is kind of rough, and I hate to say this. Oh, don't but say I, it, Michael. I know, I know. <laughs> we do know that Spider-Man is not really real. Why is Spider-Man not real versus God? Jesus was born in a real city. So was Spider-Man. These are just okay. stories. We have no contact with either of these beings. How can we tell? We have writings from those who did. There are no writings from anyone who actually had contact with Spider-Man. I have people that can talk. I, I can go see Spider-Man at the park. Totally. He's a real person. But here's the deal. Rarely, let's just speak psychology for a second. Mm. 
as a general psychological rule, a human being will not undergo torture for something they know to be a lie. If they deep down really know it's a lie, and you, and this is well documented, and you start torturing them hard, like not like the like the minor stuff, like I'm talking like beyond water reporting here, like I mean like real torture, like Catholic they Church confess. kind of stuff. Oh uh, well, you know, at times I gotta own up that that is true at times, <laughs> but like the real stuff, yeah. psychologically, they cop to it. People only hold their story through torture when they genuinely deep down believe it's true. And Ooh. so think about it this way. Well, I've been, I've been told, honestly, though, you can't trust a confession under torture uh, because correct. they will say anything. But you can trust a continuance of the original story. They so will say anything. To get all out of people it. who have been tortured for a belief, that belief is true. Uh, no, that's not necessarily true. Okay. But look at the consistency. It's exceptionally rare. And, and, you know, I, I hate the word all. And so, like, whenever someone uses the word all, yeah, I always yeah, it like a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, most. But, like, most. consider, like, 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred, were killed, mm -hmm. were tortured to, you know, basically say, hey, show us the body of Jesus is. And the, the 12th one is the, the beloved apostle John. He was boiled in oil, and he somehow miraculously survived that. So it's not like he got out of that easy either, right? And so here you are, and you're, Bar like, Bartholomew was skinned alive. And like th that's a rough one, man, to go down. Like you want to talk about painful. Like, that's that's rough up there, right? And that's so sometime after pulling off rough. three or four fingers, uh, maybe halfway up my arm, I may be like, "Hey, the body's in the closet in the red house three blocks down. Just go get it. Stop doing <laughs> right, what you're doing." Right, but he right? wants his treasure in heaven. He wants eternity in heaven. He doesn't want to go to hell. So in the Bible, it says, "If you denounce God, you're going to go to hell." These people totally. are scared. But if he knows, just it's like a lie, every other religion, junk. the people that die for their religion. It happens. People die for lies all but the time. Not... It doesn't make the lie any more real, though. Of course they do. But he knew the man who made the claims. And if he Supposedly. knew that man. Supposedly. Now, that was documented. That's documented by sources that were not friendly to the Christian. Uh, Josephus is the Jewish uh, historian who wrote all about this kind uh, of stuff. And we have a well, lot of documentation. And yeah. he was not Christian. He was very anti-Christian. So yeah. there was no reason could why have been he written would be... in later. There could have been a lot of different things. There's a lot of different uh, things there. I'm not too far up on it. It's been a minute. Documents. You, we need, okay, if you want to open forged. up historicity, we talk about that too. Of course, anything could be forged. But if you hold the level of historicity questioning towards the documents and the, and the biblical corpus in particular, but even the writings of Josephus, then you must then, by that bar, reject virtually everything we have of history. There is nothing we have more histor historically blah, I can historically accurate. <laughs> than the Christian corpus. Because the way that it's distributed, I mean, e even without the Dead Sea Scrolls, the biblical corpus stands as a league of its own for historical validation. And so, with them, it's even crazy. So there's no contradictions in it, though. It's historically accurate. We can we can know what happened. We have within the understanding that some things aren't meant to be literal. Um, just a little bit ago, what did what did the kids say? I said something to kids about, yeah, you. I said something like, you're as slippery as a cheese cracker. I don't know what I said, something like that. <laughs> and and if that had been written down and you looked it down, the, down later on, you'd be like, well, that's an inconsistency there because Michael said his children were a cheese cracker. And I know they're not a cheese cracker because, you know, they're actually human beings, right? And so, like, you have the idea of metaphor. And you also right. have the idea of of cultural references. And we have all sorts of little cultural idioms we use that 2,000 years from now will not be used. And, or even like when you learn a different language and you're like easy as pie, what, how is pie easy? That doesn't even make sense. But we say stuff like that and it makes no sense outside of the realm. So if you don't understand the cultural references, then yeah, it looks really weird. What about the birth of Jesus? Was he born in yeah. a house or was he born in a barn? 
the, the, so here we have a Hebrew word for it. I have no idea what the Hebrew word is. I don't remember it. It can be translated different words. I guess the question is, does it really matter? What's the difference between a house and a barn? Back then, the, those were well, the, the difference same is Matthew anyways. and Luke tell two different stories of the birth of Jesus. You got two completely different stories, one where they're being chased by an evil king and one where they just have time to relax and ponder the evening. It's not clear they have time to relax, but Mon uh, Mary has time to ponder the thoughts of the day, it says. Yep, so, yep, exactly. So she had time to just relax, as opposed to the other one where they had to run and escape to Egypt. So those are two different stories, in my view. And then you go into the death of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of different problems so with last the death Sunday, of Jesus. Who was at the tomb? What was his last me... words? Were there two men beside him? Were they robbers? Were there nobody? I mean, there's a lot of different contradictions and discrepancies. Last Sunday, we were running a little bit late to go to church. And I sing in the choir. And so the question came up with my wife. Should we all go together a little early or should we take two cars? This is these sort of these are sort of decisions in which future generations will base all <laughs> I've their been there. Course. I've been right? there with my my when I was younger, my family. I remember yeah. them arguing about that. Who's gonna go in what's I'm going, Dad? <laughs> now, the way it worked out, my kids are getting a little bit older. I have six kids, so it's it's always a complication, right? And I got up six got, kids. Oh, my it's god, it never ends. It's an adventure. Holy that never cow. Ends. Go ahead. Whew, that threw me off. Go I know, I know. It's, it's a bit of a curveball. So we actually get really well motivated, and we actually got all the kids ready with no yelling or screaming in time that we all leave together. Wow. Now, from Michael's story, I had time to ponder things. Things went great. It was a great morning. Mm -hmm. Now, my wife has a different story, and this may have caused some slight marital discord on mm. the road home after church, and where, in her version of the story, everyone was super stressed, by that she means she was super stressed, and that we didn't have any time, she didn't have any time to relax, by that she means she likes to get herself a cup of coffee and sit down in her chair for five minutes, uh -huh. and she didn't have time to do that. And so the way she tells the story, you think we were in different houses. Now, if you're married, there are probably times in your own life you can look back and say, the story my wife told about an event and the story that I told about an event don't quite match. Right. They're different it's a stories. Thing. So is one of you lying? So one of you is right and one of you is wrong. Or wrong. you're both you're wrong. Both right. You're both right. You can't both be right. If there are two different can. stories on what happened. Let's say I show you a picture right now and ask you what's going on in that picture. You could describe it. I show somebody else that same picture and they could describe a totally different subset of stuff. Like, no, Michael, this is completely different. You have one picture with uh, shepherds who are being visited by angels and one picture without shepherds. You have one picture with an evil king and three wise men and then one picture without those. Those so are the, two different I, pictures. My understanding is the three wise men actually took place two years later. Um, and that's that's oh why there's a time gap there. <laughs> However, that said, uh, does either story specifically preclude the other? Yes, where he was born. And... The circumstances the house versus, behind his house birth, versus barn. 100%. Have you looked at the structures back then? Those structures, tell me the difference between a house and a barn, man. Like we all call everything back there a barn. An inn in a, in, a, in a place where there's animals. An inn where there's a, a room. First off, if you're poor, place you sleep with, with animals. your animals anyways. <laughs> if you're poor, you sleep Not my I'm donkey. I don't sleep with an ass. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I do. <laughs> well, my wife would say she does, but that's a different story. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I, yeah, I know. I know. That right you, up you, said you. It, you said it. I had to say for it. <laughs> Good job. Good job. But seriously, though, there's, a, there's two different things as far as I can but see. But they um, heard, though, just the other day, my one of my kids call our house something lame. 
and they actually called our house something like oh this beat up old trash bag house something like that like because we our house is a little bit older and we got yeah. some parts that aren't remodeled and at the same time we have by a different context one of the nicest houses of a lot of people around here it's not saying much in northern idaho that's all pretty old stuff and like you can you can literally describe things radically different and not be not be lying but this yeah. is true psychologically speaking like let me put this into into a data flow concept here house, for, you for a second house when they saw the star they were overjoyed on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him they brought gifts and gold okay. and then afterwards well, they escaped let's, to let's pause right there okay go ahead I'm here's what's great about this while we're doing this so if you're the wise men, you just journeyed. What is it from? For they've done the journey from Babylon to Bethlehem. It's it's some hundreds of miles. I forget the number, right? And you've done all this journey. You're trying to find the king. And you, if you found him in a barn, are you going to write down you found him in a barn? No, you're going to write down, hey, he's in a house because you, you want to set the story up for yourself, right? We found him in, in a barn. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make sense, right? No, this is the way humans telling stories works. We use similar words. So as both a of them can't be right, though. They can be if one person's house is another person's barn. Honestly, all those houses I'd call a barn. <laughs> I love it. We're stretching it. I, you're stretching it. I, I, I swear I'm going to stay, but I love it. Thank you. This was fun. Um, I want to go back to the fruit now, though. That Let's was good. It. That was good. Uh, the fruit. So the goodness. We see the goodness from Christianity, and we see the self-consistency. Let's stick with the goodness. What goodness do you see in Christianity above any other religion or non-religion? What goodness. And does right, it outweigh the bad Let's stuff. get dark and dirty here. Yeah. No, that's a fair question, too. There are two, two very separate, very valid questions. What would you describe the plight of, we'll start with the average male, pre-Christendom days. The average male was a slave, was impoverished, and had no rights, had nothing really going for him. There's the, there's the elite men, and they had a good life back then. But the average man wasn't that good. So now, okay. if we consider the plight of the average women the slavery is darker the slavery is bad um okay th there was no science there's no technology there was there was no rights there was no representative government there was no anything that has arisen post-christendom there now, was a guy who, separation who could have said something about the slavery that's a very complicated question and that's a change of topic so i'm gonna come back to that if you want to but yeah, let me just right. keep going for what is the good that comes from christianity and is it better than the bad? It was the Christian movement that elevated the role of women. It was the Christian the organization was the first organization ever that advocated that women were of equal dignity to men. That was an who brought it down to begin beforehand. with? What's it? I'm, I'm just confused. What, what brought the, the the women down to begin with? Why weren't they equal level to men? What was it that was keeping them down? So, in, first off, it's all speculation. Like we don't really know for sure exactly what happened. There's no. But we know what helped. We know what helped. What do you mean? The Bible and its demeanor towards women. We know that that uh, what In what way do you mean that? Keep women down. I don't know. Religion I, kept women I, down. It kept them. Um, That's not clear to me at all, actually. If really? we're talking like what, like, you know, 5,000 BC, religion kept people down. We kept women down. 1950s. I'm going 1950s. Women deserve to be but in no, the no, home no, no, because no. Titus. Slow, slow down. Slow down. Slow yeah. down. Sorry. I'm talking when you go to pre-Christendom days, the plight of women. Yeah. was horrifically bad compared to the vision that Christendom painted of women being of equal dignity. Where is that? Where is that specifically where women are equal dignity to men in the Bible? So it's metaphorically present in many places. Let's start with Genesis. Mm, metaphorically what, present. 
Uh, but metaphorical truth is the basis upon which we live our lives. It well, really is. We'd like to think it's. We'd like to think that we live in a world of scientific fact. We actually live. We make our decisions based upon a narrative, based upon metaphorical truth. This again is well documented psychologically. When the Bible tells you to do certain things, it's not metaphorical. No, but when a Bible conveys concepts, it oftentimes does use metaphors. Instructions by necessity cannot be metaphorical, but concepts like are men and women of equal dignity. There's no instruction there. That's a concept. None. Well, actually, they're lesser beings. It says it several places in there. Um, well, the Titus one I was talking about was Titus uh, 2, 4 through 5. Lesser. Um, Let me pull that Then they can train the younger. Again? Yeah, sorry. Titus 2, 4 through 5. Um, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of Yahweh. Wait, so, so where, where's the lesser beings in that? I just didn't hear that. Well, <laughs> first off, they're uh, subservient, subject to their husbands. That's a lesser ah, being, number one. It... They're to be busy at home. That's well, a, slow down, that's... slow down, slow down. If if we are subservient to our locally representative government, are we a lesser lesser than them? You're you're missing the point though. It's submissive, subservient. Okay. It, it, it continues in Ephesians. Wives submit to your husbands as I, know, I, the absolutely. Lord. And then actually, what's funny is that Ephesians five. I I'm very happy to dive into that because yeah. the actual instructions given to men are far harsher than what's given to women when you really open that up. But I think there's this I, notion that to submit makes one a lesser being, and I would reject that utterly. Why why would you say that? I would actually argue it makes one a greater being. It's hard to submit, to voluntarily submit. Um, some of the best leaders this I know. This is a demand. This were... is an order. This is to submit. You don't have a choice in this matter. This is a it's, direct it's, it's, order it's, it's from God. It is an God. injunction, of course. But some of the yeah. greatest yeah. leaders I knew in Intel were the men who would submit themselves willingly to the authority of the person above them. And in that submission, would do it in such so a way the, to help uh, there you go. further the mission the for the cause. authority to the person above them. Totally. That That's does not, not make equal. them lesser. That's exactly uh, yeah. what that is. Above no. them versus below them. If somebody's identify... above you, you are below them. That makes you lesser. So you're saying if I have a boss, I'm less than my boss? Yes, because he's higher in rank no, than you are. No, 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 no. That's no, how no. that works. You're, you're no, no, subservient no, 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 to your boss. That is let not lesser in dignity. You must submit to your boss. Do you like that? Let's, let's, that say, let's say we'll choose a military example. <laughs> That's the easy example here. So you got a captain who's in charge. He's got a bunch of privates. So the man's in uh, charge. He's got right, a bunch of. Got a, you know, pri there's private Johns. There's private Joe. Whatever. And we're just stick with men just to make this to make to keep this super clean. But we can go to women too if you want. But that's the, the point, Christian though. view is that all the humans are of equal dignity. All of them. Yes, some of them have authority that's greater. There's but authority not a and chance. value are radically different. In fact, actually, here's the irony of this. Here's the real irony, Michael. Pre-Christendom, you're right. Authority was viewed as value. One of the novelties that Christendom induced was that value was independent of authority structure. That was a novelty Christendom brought in. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it also tells you to obey your masters as slaves in the New Testament. I don't totally. think that's... We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Slow down and just... This is really critical. When, e when God made Eve, what bone did she take out of Adam? Why couldn't he just make him? Why couldn't she just... Because this is metaphorical Come out of dirt. and there's a meaning behind the metaphor. What's the meaning behind it? If he had chosen the head, some bone in the head, Eve what, would be what, better than Adam. If she had chosen the foot, the rib? Eve Makes would be equal? less than Adam. The rib is the middle point. They're equal from the middle point. 
And so there's this Are we missing metaphor. ribs, Michael? Uh, actually, ironically, statistically, yes. There's a small subset of men in the population that do have one less rib. That's yeah. a separate story small as well. Small subset that is, of men. It, it, no, I'm Not all men are missing a rib and women don't have no. an extra rib. Or they're no, not no, made no, out no, of no. one rib. But it is a statistically scientific observable thing that there are there's a small subset of men in the population yeah. who do have one less rib. It's a very there's funny people thing. people without ears, too. I mean, it's not it's, really by, it's a cute observation. It's, it's by no it's means relevant, persuasive, though. but it is cute. <laughs> but the metaphor, the imagery present, even in that yes. emotion right there, is one of equality. And the our Lord and himself, and you think about the objections the Pharisees offered when they noticed that Jesus ate at the table with women. He eats with women? Our Lord himself said, yes, I will eat with women, which was an athlete at the time. You, If you were a man, you did not eat at the table with other women. Maybe with your own wife, but even that was far enough. This is the First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So very clear well, there. Well weaker documented. Vessel. Weaker. Let's talk about weaker. What does weakness normally refer to? Strength. At the time, what was the medicum of strength that was most relevant? Physical strength. This is the Bible New Testament, man. Of course, so but you women have are weaker vessels. You're telling me that there's women out there that there's no strong women. Uh, no, that, statistically, okay. look at statistics. Honor to the woman as here. the weaker vessel, the woman. There is, is it no just one woman? Dishonor, there is no dishonor to women to say that statistically women have less physical body strength than men. Wow. That is just a well documented medical truth. Like there doesn't dishonor women the slightest to say that. Any so where does it say that? Not so all women are, say that women are better at relationships. Where does it say that? We we have to understand what statistical observations mean. Doesn't say that. If I tell you that men are one sigma more likely to be aggressive than women, they are one sigma more disagreeable. That does not preclude there are there is an individual woman who's more disagreeable than an individual man. But you have to look at statistical yeah, distribution. It doesn't say most likely here. It doesn't say most likely here. It says the woman as the weaker, weaker vessel, showing honor it, to the woman as the weaker vessel, the woman. It, that and sounds like just women to me. In the currency of the time, it was Roman plural. So they didn't have any strong the women back then. Physical strength was it? But you're really confused. Like this is just not how statistics works. Like this is just a a, a wordplay right now. We understand. Like if you look at statistics, I understand. Say, Sorry, Michael. Men not are more I understand than women. In the Bible, women are given a crap lot. God gives would, these rules. God. I, orders these things in deuteronomy god orders some pretty horrible things if you don't listen to me i'm going to cause your wife to be raped also in deuteronomy if you take a captive woman you get to marry her these aren't awesome things for women oh, god has not. the choice to step in and say something differently god has the choice not to threaten your wife with assault if you don't listen to him. God has the choice to say in here that some are weaker, genetically speaking, but he doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't. Not a word. Him. He does. No, because of this book, women have been assaulted and, and degenerated. Because of this book, we had slavery. False. Those aren't true. Slavery You're telling me that nobody took this book, the Bible, and I'm, said we should have slaves. My claim is as a net whole, this book abolished slavery. Which part abolishes net, slavery? 
the holistic part, but the dignity part. William which Wilberforce. Part? Uh, which that men Michael, and women are equal. Michael, that which men part and abolishes the, the the slavery part? Which part? So we can go through and pull the different versions and try to string I'd like together. To. Let's do that. But I want to know the one. So do you know the story? Says of how we shouldn't William, have slaves. Do you know the story when William Wilberforce organized the British government to actually abolish the slavery trade? It it was horrifically expensive, and it was the, his entire rationale was based upon the Christian idea that all people are of equal dignity, and that is an idea that is embraced and espoused throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I can't right now come up with a specific I verse that really that. inspires that. Um, it is intrinsic there. It is the message of Christendom throughout all time. I it will slay message- your cherished offspring. Is that part of it? God says that. So, so let's 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 dive into this. I think what you really start what you really on here is some of the Deuteronomy stuff, and there is some yucky stuff in Deuteronomy. That, that uh, was there's Hosea. a reason why people. Sorry. Okay, fine. Yeah, that yeah, was there's, no. some, there's <laughs> well. Okay, first off, anytime you talk about a prophet, you have to actually look at them in, in the prophetic sense. That was God right, saying. But who? That, yeah. But who is he talking to really? The people he's mad at. He's talking to the people why, he's mad at, so he's going to slay. Why did Hosea marry a prostitute? It doesn't matter. It does. So you think why. because he married the prostitute, his kids deserve to die? No, not at all. Why? Or the children of the Ephraim pro- deserve to die? No, he married the prostitute so that he could speak and prophesy much more directly and effectively about the pain of the betrayal that would come when God wanted to communicate the pain of betrayal God went through from the people of Israel. And so the story of how- Hosea I feel so bad for Yahweh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's poor feelings. So he, he decided to lash out at children. Because he got his no. feelings hurt. Well, okay, so tell me specifically, where did he lash out children? Hosea 9. He, he slaughtered no, the, no, no, the no, children no. of Ephraim. He threatened to the... slay their cherished offspring because they disobeyed him and worshipped other gods. And he, he was hurt. He was upset. So is that something so... you would do? Was that something good? Is that a goodness thing? Let's pretend I write the, write the Bible this way. Parents, do not allow your children to stick forks in electrical outlets or I will slay them. No, it says don't be drunkards or you can stone them. That's what it says. Disobedient <laughs> children get stoned. That's what God wants. That was one of his rules. That was one so, of his perfect, holy, righteous, and good rules. If that truly were what he wanted, you see that consistently put through, not as individual applications. I do. In the same, in the same way that the invitation to the particular young man was to sell everything, give it to the poor, you have to always look at the context of whom God is speaking to. In yeah. the ancient Israelite culture, where is it set historically? Look at the historical, what they're surrounded by. So it was by. okay back then to when, stone kids when they were disobedient. No, 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 no. Let me finish. Let oh, me finish. Okay. When the whole eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth thing came around, right? At first you'd be like, oh, that's retribution. It's horrible. The precedent before that was you take one eye of mine and I take three things of yours, 10 things of yours. The vengeance huh. was exponential. And so you have to look at it. What God's after in each of these different steps is something less bad the step before uh there's a friend of mine who and i love this guy he takes uh kids he's for uh who've been in really really terrible homes and they, they try to adopt them if they can but they at least give them like a safe place um shoot man words today it's like um what you know when you like to temporarily take children there's an official system for that mm-hmm. um the world will come to me in a second um and he tells me some of these stories of these kids he get, like some of these stories who the mother took alcohol while they were in the womb, the kids were horribly abused at the house, and they may only have them for weeks or months. But when you get these kids in the house, you can't hold them to the same rules you do your, your, your kids, right? Because coming from the background, that just wouldn't be fair. They're just not able to function at that level. And so you make rules that are approximations for them. You find, where can I make a rule for this kiddo who has this horrible background that's one step better than where he is now? That's mm-hmm. one step more functional than what, she, than what she's used to. And he said it was very difficult because his own kids would, would just be so upset 
that the these other the poor kids that they're temporarily hosting could get away with stuff that his own kids couldn't get away with right mm. and you have to understand the context and here's my framework to you the world at the time of the israelites was so horrifically bad that what god's arguing is actually less bad than what the world was doing at the time so and god's saying right these there. people must okay. have here that though thank you that was great thank you appreciate that um so it's less bad it's one step worse than what they were doing before Right. One step better. Oh, so what God's injunction is to oh, make sorry, one, yeah, step one step towards the good. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And one step towards the good. So totally. God, in his infinite wisdom, thought that the one step better was stoning disobedient children to death. Totally. Do you know what the it, real what, alternative what is? What about, hey, let's not kill them? What about the world says, let's rape them and then stone them? And I'm not God talking says, about no, that. Like, not. holy cow, slow down, slow down. No, 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 no. I'm, you don't understand that. God can't come up with a better then. way than stone children to death? Of course. That's the best he could come up with? My friend could come up with a way better rule for these poor kids that he's, uh, what is the word? You're not adopting your, it starts with a P. Yeah, I know <sighs> what you're talking about. Uh, it's oh, there. it's, it's there. It's going to yeah. come in the middle. Well, We're going to yell it out. Um, uh, but seriously, he though. Could, but he could come up with a great rule for them. Monotheism. But they weren't ready for it. Monotheism. They couldn't get there. They couldn't get there. They weren't ready for it. He pushed it and he killed. He really wanted it. He wanted it so bad he slaughtered children to get it. Monotheism. Well, he wanted off, to be the only god they worshiped. My understanding is he didn't. That's a pretty big one. He threatened it. He did. But he if, slaughtered kids. Definitely. But if you said to them, "What do you think I happened?" Only in you to bathe in water story. and not in sewage. Egyptian story. He like slaughtered you, the kids in their bed while they were sleeping. All these things, so all these children he slaughtered. That's a sim- there's a lot of symbolism in the Egyptian story. We can get to that one. You're right. You're right. The Egyptian story. Did he that, slaughter that kids him. in their sleep? That is the Egyptian story. There you go. We don't if know he did that, that's all I need to know. Everything he did before that doesn't matter to me. He slaughtered children in his sleep. That is not a good guy. That's it. He's not taking, a, a, he's not taking one step better. He's making things worse by slaughtering children. Drowning the whole planet. When he regret making people by draining the whole planet, did he make it better? I I need a real example here to come up with this because there I, I feel like I'm on the edge of coming up with a lot of real examples. But it is entirely plausible that if you were in a military situation and you had a choice between allowing option A, allowing the bombs to fall and destroy everyone, or allowing the bombs to fall and containing it somehow and destroying just a I'm few God, people. I can do whatever I want. I can just make all the bombs um, disappear. But here's I the can one make thing, people. one thing you can't do. What? Take away their free will. What, what do you mean by taking away their free will? Exactly what do you mean by free will? So when God created man, in order for man to have the potential for love, man here being mankind, like I'm using the old version of this. So I don't want to get tied yeah, up into yeah, that particular yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in order for there to be the potential of love, there had to be the potential to also not love. Otherwise, there's no love. Like uh, right now we have robots, right? And robots are coming in hard. And does the robot love you? No, it can't. It has no choice. It has to follow its instructions. Now, honestly, that stinking AI that they're coming up with now would outperform my children in every single dimension possible. My children can't even wipe their own butts and pick up their own socks and shoes. Like, I mean, yeah. an AI yeah. totally yeah. outperform my children in every parameter, but they cannot love. And the love that I feel when I pick up one of my children, stare in their eyes, and they say, I love you, daddy, would be unsurpassed by any robot. And so when I say God gave the children, the people of uh, humans free will, he gave them the capacity to be able to love. And the price of that is the capacity to be able to not love. And when God evaluates, is it better to have somebody who is always alive, but cannot love versus sometimes people are going to die, but the potential for love is there. 
his answer to that is it's better to have the potential to love and have sometimes yeah but he can come in he can come in manipulate things send a prophet that will actually say words that are convincing he can do these things he can also change hearts and minds apparently he does that nowadays I can tell you there's sometimes there are no words that are convincing. Well, that's for there's sure. Sometimes that's, for sure. that's children, though. These are adults. And God is superpowered. He can do whatever he wants. He can change hearts and minds. He can soften and harden hearts. But so he there's, there's a lot of there's a lot violence. of speculation about what does it mean? And well, let's take Pharaoh, because that's such a great story. When it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart again well, and again. That's a good one, but I kind of want to go to Habakkuk okay. 1.6, sure, sure, sure. where God says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the earth to seize dwellings their own. God is raising these people up specifically, and then that goes right back to Pharaoh, I guess, because he says in, in Exodus 3.16, I think it is, or 9.16, one of those two, that he rose Pharaoh up for this specific purpose so that he can show his powers. That explains everything I need to know about this person. He rose up when- Pharaoh. For this purpose, to show his power. That's gross, when, man. When I own a business and one of my employees does something dumb on the job, <laughs> here's a funny story. I own a fancy <laughs> business and for a little while, and one of the employees literally took a dump behind somebody's barn and left it there. Oh, it was super gross. I didn't even bury it? Didn't even bury it. Oh, my God. A cat buries his own poop. Holy cat. And then the dog found it. Oh, no. And it got worse from there. So I get this call on my phone. Michael, it's a female voice. Michael, blah, blah, blah. I'm so upset. Blah, 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 blah. Story, 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 story. Oh, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, oh, please. Why? Why would you do this? And ultimately, I took Ooh. responsibility for that because I'm the boss. Because I'm the But you didn't owner. claim the poop is your own. No, 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 no. Not okay. the poop is my own. But I did say I allowed that to happen. Hmm. I allowed this employee to work. I insufficiently trained him to inform him. You mm-hmm. cannot just poop on people's property. That's not allowable behavior for this Something job. Something you shouldn't have to train them for, it, though. It, 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 but the proper response, and I think everyone <laughs> would agree with me, is to say, I take responsibility that I did not do my job well enough to avoid oh. this fate, right? Mm. And that's the responsible thing. Like you read this, like David Goggins, all this stuff, like all extreme response, extreme honesty. There's something there to say, I'm going to own this, right? And I think when I read in the Bible and I see God saying, I'm raising up, in a sense, you're right to say God's all-powerful. So if something happens, the proper way is to say, I'm taking response. This occurred on my watch. Hmm. But Buck pooped this guy's yard. His name was Buck. <laughs> on my watch, right? And uh-huh. so I can say, I allowed Buck to poop in the yard. Uh-huh. And when we speak with authoritarian responsibility style language, it can sound like I pooped in the yard myself. Now, mm. I didn't actually poop in the yard. I wasn't even there that day. Mm. And I certainly would have buried it if I had. But <laughs> certainly. <laughs> he even had an auger. We had a skid with an auger there. Like he could punch a four foot deep hole if he wanted to. <laughs> and he didn't even do that. So I don't know what's going on with that story. I don't even know. <laughs> oh, man. I, I went up and I talked to him. And I'm like, dude. And, and he was like, yeah, that was dumb. I should have done that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it was. So that's a, that's a story, man. It is. It's a real story. You don't make those ones up. And. It is a difficult parsing of the English language to say, I accept full responsibility if that is the business owner. It is my responsibility that that event mm-hmm. happened on your property, and I will make it right as best I can. And I will also mm-hmm. not allow Buck back on your property because I understand how sensitive you could be about that. That's me taking responsibility to make it right with a client. That nobody doesn't died. mean I did the poop. But nobody uh, no, died. No, but the dog came close. But no. well, <laughs> you should see how big this guy was. No, the dog actually. But... 
don't do that. <laughs> Sorry, I got a sense of humor. I got a, I got a sense of humor here and there. That's too much. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it's terrible, Michael. Oh, my God. <laughs> but nobody does. Not, not in the story, though. Right. You didn't threaten anybody with death or I destruction. Threatened or... With, I threatened Puck with with losing his job. Well, that that's, that's, that's not his life, though. That's not his life. I think it's a fallacy to assume that death is the ultimate evil. When you kill somebody, when God kills somebody that's evil, where do they go? That's a much more difficult question than you think. I think you, you're fishing for the answer of hell, but I don't believe is it a happy this. I think place? It's, a fal- it's a false question. Is it a happy and place? I would, do they go somewhere happy? The, the, the consistent answer with the faith is we cannot know for sure. And the more consistent mm-hmm. answer is they will go where they've chosen to go. And that doesn't I, help anyway. Like, well, where is I the know. place they've chosen to go? So, what is, is happy? Hell? What we don't even know what hell's like. We have. Do you think it's happy? It? Do you personally think hell is a happy place? I think I side with C.S. Lewis that people will get what they choose, and if they choose God, they get God, and if they choose not God, they get not God. Uh, there is a book God? by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, yeah. and he describes hell very differently than the fire and brimstone. And in this, the image of hell is one of rugged individualism. And in hell, they literally have the power to create around themselves whatever they want. And so individuals just think and create a house around themselves, think and create whatever they're interested in. And if there's too close, they can instantaneously spot, like teleport themselves however far away they want. And Sounds he fun. talks about how, what was that? Sounds fun. Um, uh, To a certain extent on, on prima facie, sure. Uh, and so what happens over time is the the civilization of what you would call hell is slowly expanding out to be hundreds of thousands of miles wide, where everyone has their own little palace and builds their own little whatever they want to build. But ultimately, it's utterly alone because their heart is closed to others. But they get what they wanted. But wait, wait, their heart is closed to others and they wanted that. My friend David, who I pray for regularly, he has not yet seen. He and I differ on the reasons of the faith. And he has been hurt badly by a lot of things in his life. And he wants superficial relationships, but with very few exceptions. The other day he called me and he had a real conversation with me, and that was unique for him. Hmm. In general, he's terrified of a deep conversation because so often when this happened, he's been hurt so badly. And so many people with whom he's had those deep conversations have hurt him. Hmm. And Michael, I agree with Henry David Thoreau that I think most people today are living lives of quiet desperation. And most of us are lost in this fear and uncertainty of we don't know what we want, but we're so scared of a real thing, a real connection that we it's run human, man. Humanity. Yeah, no. It is mean, human. We're scared of not, monkeys is all we are. But it's not an outrageous claim to say that people in their fear choose to not have that deep connection. This happens every day all around so us. I choose not to have a connection with God. So in the afterlife, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to choose not to connect with people. To a certain extent, I hate to say this, but I'm going to this a little bit. There's a woman I know, and she's been married and divorced two times. And she will proudly say, I will never get married again. I said, why? She Because I've really come to realize I'm far too selfish of a person. And I want what I want. And so if I'm married to somebody else, there's a conflict there. And so I don't like to give up what I want. Yeah, yeah they, they don't. And, they would be that. And I think there's something there. At the end of the day, when you are unwilling to face down my, when I am unwilling to face down my own selfishness, I cannot have a long-term successful relationship. It will burn because ultimately something has to give. I either have to give up my selfishness or I have to give up the relationship. So you can have it for a while. You can have it for years, decades. Even. It's, it's but called an even, that yeah, given, yeah, it's a delicate balance, a hundred percent. 
It's, it's but relationships, but Michael, that's how that works. But that, I'm not going to choose not to have a relationship in the afterlife because I choose selfish... not to have a relationship with God. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not. That's that's not me. Maybe those people, but not me. Sure, totally. So totally. what happens to me then? Am I going to be there Did in my own mansion with know. people I want to have in my mansion? I do not know. C.S. Lewis uses that as an image. Is he, by no means is he claiming that's literal truth. Oh. Uh, but as well, an image, it doesn't really follow through then. Here's one more claim we can add to maybe to, to round this out. And this one may mm -hmm. not settle well, is the claim that if I believe that God offers grace and mercy to all of us who are still alive, how much more wretched of a person would I be without that grace and mercy? And so therefore, if we enter into the afterlife and I no longer have access to God because I've rejected God and that grace and mercy is gone, I'm not sure you really want me in your mansion. I'm going to be kind of a turd. My wife's description of me that we referenced earlier may actually become accurate. So you're not going to have control of your emotions. I don't have control over my emotions now. Well, you're doing pretty well. In the moment, perhaps. Well, have, you I mean, asked me, ask me about we have days a temper ago, my... I haven't. You haven't. I mean, we're, we're pretty in control of our emotions now. Yeah, but you're, you're a good guy. I like you. Three days ago, my wife and I... When, 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 <laughs> Give me a few a hours. Ago, yeah, right. I, I told you a week ago about the conversation with the whole way that Sunday story went down, right? And yeah, how the yeah. conversation on the way home involves some marital discord. I was not in full control of my emotions right then. Mm. And I say that not out of pride. That was me not being a great job and being a husband that moment. But that did happen. So you do have moments where you're not in control. But in the afterlife, we are just going to be uncontrollable bastards. I think if you add up, I fear that if you add up the number of moments without God's grace to help out, that's going to start weighing on you. And like, sure, you could probably withstand my first 20,000 temper tantrums. But we're talking about unlimited time here. And God's grace to help out, though. What is that? What is that? What does that mean? In your life, there's surely been moments where someone has wronged you horribly. And by no means should you logically forgive them. And yet you found a way to forgive them anyways. I think this is a pretty common experience many of us have had. Hmm. Why did you accomplish that? By any right, when someone harms us badly, we should not forgive them. Well, in my own story, my dad did horrible things before he went to jail for 10 years. Hmm. Just by no logic should I forgive him. And yet I have. Why and how did that come to pass? Wait, wait, wait. You, you forgave your dad. It's very difficult. I, I would actually claim that if you want to dig into it, I would say I have forgiven him. I am forgiving him. And I still will continue to forgive him because I think there are some wounds that are not solved with one single act of forgiveness. So you were able to forgive and are currently able to forgive without anything dying. Anything dying. Um, my sense of pride dies a little bit, maybe. Not an actual being, though. Nothing, no bloodshed had to be spelled. Spell. There was bloodshed in the original events. But no, none now in the forgiveness. For the forgiveness part. In order for the right, forgiveness right. to take place, you didn't have to kill an innocent. <laughs> yeah. I was tempted to a few times. But no, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, Michael. We, we won't go there. We won't go there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously, you would not slaughter an innocent to forgive the guilty. You can just forgive them. You have that power. You have that ability. I'd Why does God not have that power? On my own, I don't believe that I do. On my own, I don't think I could have forgiven my dad. So you can forgive your down. with God's help. Correct. But God, I'm going to go Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Michael, you're able to forgive without bloodshed. There was bloodshed. You didn't need the bloodshed for I, that forgiveness, though. 
I needed the blood of Christ for that forgiveness. Why did you need the blood of an invisible Jewish guy to forgive somebody? Boy, we're going deep into theology here. This would be a good one. Um, (laughs) Let's imagine that I robbed you, okay? Mm -hmm. And I not only take every dime of your life savings, uh, your house, all your possessions, but I also Mm -hmm. take all of your future investments and I steal from you so thoroughly that you will never be able to get out of debt. I even like, Mm -hmm. I even identity theft you in this process and I take out a hundred billion dollars of debt in your name and it sticks to you. All right, so I've stolen all this from you. I would argue it is impossible for you to literally forgive me that debt because you're still in debt yourself, right? Well, if if I was gone, I would just kill my kid and then you're forgiven. If I was gone, slow down, slow down. Just hang with me for a second. Just hang with me for a second. And so you'd argue something else has to happen for me to forgive this debt because literally I'm unable to forgive it. I don't have the money to forget it. I'm deep in debt, right? And so in your, here you are, metaphysical impossibility to forgive this seemingly silly debt that I've created in this image, there's a barrier you cannot cross. So now take a look at God. What is it that God cannot cross? What is it God will not cross? I don't know. What God, what can God not do? There's an old uh, idiom um, about if God's all-knowing, all-perfect, all-seeing, all-everything, what does he lack? Limitation. And in that sense, one of the, in this idiom sense, one of the reasons he creates man is to create limitation. Now, in a more practical sense, we call that free will. And what I mean by that is if he created us so that in a limited way, we'd be able to love, which is all we can ever do. Like I'm, if you ask my wife, she'd say it's very limited. And I know I'm going to keep throwing those in there because I think they're fun. (laughs) Then if God cannot forgive certain deaths without crossing and breaking free will. Now we're going to some deep metaphysical stuff here, but. I don't get it. Why can't. Yeah, no, totally. Why can't he forgive sin without breaking free will? That doesn't make sense to me. Because what is sin? Something Um, he doesn't like. It's pissing God off, doing things he don't like. Like in the ancient, blaspheming the, the Holy Spirit. He doesn't like that. The, the term comes, I forget what language is from originally. It's an archery term, and it means to miss the target. And so when you sin in the in the original sense, the etymology, you miss the target. Mm-hmm. And so first off, you'd say, cool, that's fine. Go grab your arrow, shoot it again, right? Uh, normally, you, you wouldn't even worry about that. Mm-hmm. And to understand that to sin against God is such a violation. Um, Why, though? Why though? Why is it such a violation? It requires death. Like he made that rule. God is God. God made the rules. Technically, he didn't say it requires death. He says it requires blood. And you can shed blood without dying. Innocent not blood shed. Not just regular blood, but it has to be innocent, pure. He wants pure, you know, that fine blood that has no sin in it. He likes that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the flavor is so good because he can <laughs> age it well. It'll hold for the aging. <laughs> Go on vampire here for a second. Uh, maybe Heisenberg can synthesize some for him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. That that's that that's a difference. Anyways, we're, we're going deep. Oh, we're going off. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So why does it have to be the pure, innocent blood, though? That's the thing. God made the rule that it has to be the innocent, pure blood that He is willing to accept. And then, like in the Old Testament, they got to rub it on the earlobes and their toes and whatever. So. First yeah. off, the, the Old Testament sacrifices were never meant to be a perfect atonement. They're always an approximation. But it still happened. Uh, he still wanted the innocent to die. That's the issue. 
In the Old Testament, innocent blood that's shed is animal blood. The the only time that it's ever directly referred to saying as an expiation of sin is animal blood. There are times that God refers to saying, because the sin has occurred, I will wipe out your children, blah, blah, blah. I think that's more me akin to me saying, because you've stuck the fork in the outlet, if I was God, I will allow you by your own free will to be wiped out. Well, and what, so, what about the guy with the bald head? He sent the bears after. I don't know that. Give me some more context. Bald head, bald head, uh, Elijah. When he's in judges, when he's going up the hill and the, the, the kids make fun of his bald head and he calls down a curse in the name of God and, and mm. she bears come out and fucking eat them all yep. the kids. To death. Totally. <laughs> the other day, uh, my kids said something kind of mean and interrupted me and I yelled at them and and got pretty bad at them. Now right. I didn't maul them to death, but you didn't send bears was, after them. But I was still disordered. You're a wrong. better dad. That's what I'm going to say right there. You're just a better dad. I'll take that as a compliment for what it's worth. <laughs> I'm better than mauling with bears. Checkbox. Okay. I'm better than okay, God mauling good... you with bears. You know, I mean, God, but God didn't. Elijah did. Bears. So Elijah's my... more powerful than God. He's able no, to control Elijah God. No, free will. I I let my so my daughter and I hunt, and she's a 12 year old girl. And I let her hold a rifle, and sometimes I'm not right next to her. If she took that rifle and used it for something malicious. In one sense, I'm responsible for it, sure, and I would take responsibility for it. But in a different sense, I cannot stop her from using that rifle. How is she going to use it? Now, I've trained her well. She's a wonderful girl. She wouldn't do that. But Elijah screwed up. Elijah had a rifle, and he used it dumbly. God is in control, is he not? Can God control himself? If I give this girl a rifle, you could say I'm in control, or you could say that I'm not. not God, though. You're not God, though. This is different. Oh, darn it, God man. is all powerful, Michael. You <laughs> got to keep your bubble. Destroy this yeah. You got to change your license plate frame now. Oh, man. <laughs> but if God is in control of all of this, and Elijah says, God, come down here, go into these bears and maul these kids. God looks at him and goes, screw you, man. I do my own thing. No, God's like, oh, I can't. I can't. I have to go into the bears. And he goes into the bears and mauls them. No, I don't see it as that. So there's there's a lot of stuff. We don't know how much the writings of the prophets are actual literal truth versus metaphorical truth. So we can always well, hold Of course. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's, say, let's say, we'll stay in, we'll say for the moment's literal. I think a lot of the Old Testament stories exist to show <laughs> when you do it wrong, <laughs> here's how wrong it can go. I mean, just think about <laughs> the story of Jonah. Jonah F's it up, spends three days in the belly of a whale. Like most people uh, throw that line out there. I don't think what that would really mean. I and even so when he gets funny. back, like just think about that. Three days, you can't breathe, yeah. you can't drink, you can't eat. It's like, kind of impossible. It is kind of impossible. And so there's yeah. a whole great deal of debate about did Jonah actually die in there for three days and was resurrected three days later? Who knows? Wow. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's a good one. <laughs> well, actually, it's 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 an interesting debate uh, because it's equally as miraculous if either Jonah died for three days and was resurrected or if Jonah was miraculously sustained without air and water for three days. Yeah, either way, it's impossible as far as I'm concerned. Either way, it's an impossible one. So it only works for Pinocchio's dad, Geppetto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, what's the deal with that too? Like, how? Yeah. yeah, I know. I've always wondered about that. Like, I get that. But even that's a great example because the metaphorical <laughs> meaning there is so rich that what yeah. you need most will be found where you most, or you're most afraid to look. Like, yeah. That's a deep psychological idea that's that just good. filled with truth. And so yeah. we look at Pinocchio, and of course, it, it lines up metaphorically perfectly, but literally, it's ridiculous. Yeah, well... Mm. Yeah, so was doing in the whale as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Metaphorical. Uh, uh, we'll go with that too. But oh, and so I, I could very well be metaphorical. But so could Elijah and the Bears. Yeah. And when I well, say it this way, so could the whole thing, Michael. Uh, so could the whole see, thing. There are times when I speak metaphorically. No one's really confused that the story of the whale and and looking for the dad is literal truth. No one's confused about that. No one claims that. We do claim there are specific events in the Old Testament and in the New which are claimed to be literal truth. Mm -hmm. 
And I'd argue the historicity of the New Testament vastly exceeds that of the Old Testament, hmm. both because its scope and specificity are so much greater. Well, that sounds like a topic for another day. I okay. think we're out of time here, though, Michael. This has been oh, a lot oh, of fun. Oh, this man. Is great. I, I'm enjoying I this. I know. We'll do, we'll do a part two. You're going to come okay. back. I'm going to send you a thing, and you'll do the thing, and you'll come back, and you'll do it. So uh, as of right now, though, we're going to close it out. Okay. Uh, last word and plug your stuff, Anything wherever you, we can find your things at. Last word, last word. Okay. Yeah. So often the Bible contains the story and the word we need to hear to grow and become better not necessarily the story and word that a literal truth is most efficacious. And I think there's a great deal of danger in exploring and expecting literal truth where literal truth would not serve. So often with my own children, I give metaphorical truth instead of literal truth because they can receive it better. They adapt it better. And the truth is, well, I'd love to say I'm an adult. I'm as dumb as a child in so many ways. And I think it's not that much of a stretch to claim that all of us have our moments hmm. where we need something presented to us with metaphorical truth. But that said, I'd love to get diving that much further because I, I could keep doing this forever. Like, yeah, because right I, there, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to throw it in. I'm sorry. I'm going to throw it yeah, in. It, it, it could be interpreted wrong. There's so many different interpretations. If of course. If this is the truth, like why not make it agree. so simple? Like as because a child would understand the truth. Because God because can't the world do that. Isn't. Have you looked at quantum mechanics? Do you know how the Hamiltonian operator works? God it can simple. do anything though, Michael. You're limiting it. You're putting but, limits so on God again. Ah, uh, but no, 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 I'm not putting limits on it. I'm putting actually greater expectations that because he could have made it so simple, the reason he didn't means there's something greater good yet to come from that. There's some reason why Newtonian <laughs> mechanics weren't enough and that quantum mechanics were necessary. And my the, the data is coming in, in spades now that quantum mechanics is very quickly going to be insufficient hmm. to explain the newest data we're getting right now. Well, there's sure. 10 to the minus 34th, all the normal space-time rules start breaking down. Quantum mechanics can be out the door with that. Like there's <laughs> rules that's going to get way more complex yet, right? And so why in the world would God do that? And the yeah, only reason yeah. why is because some greater good would come. And so uh, God made a complex system. And I I play I played uh, Candyland with my kids. And then I introduced oh. them to Settlers of Catan sometime later on. And Settlers of Catan is way more awesome, but way more complex, right? <laughs> yeah. And why would I not just play Candyland with them the whole time? It's so simple. It's so easy to understand. Because mm. in the complexity, there's so much more great value and great goodness. Mm. I'm a Settlers I'm gonna let you. I'm going to let you have that. I'm going to let you have that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Where can we find right, you? Right. Where can we find you? Where can you find me? Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Um, so I'm a Catholic. I do life coaching for men. So you type in Catholic life coach for men. You'll find my podcast. You'll find my website, throw.com. You got my website on there. I'm very easy to find. I, I'm not very clever with names. So I decided early on if I'm going to do anything, I may as well come up with a nice SEO optimized name. And so that way, if you type in, you know, if you want to look for Catholic life coach men, you'll find me. I work wow. with guys. I can work with Christian men who say, I'm screwing up in my life and I want to do better. And I am ruthless and we, so then therapy, you know, they're all like, they sit around, they're like, let's talk about your feelings. Eh? I don't know why that one Canadian, but in my work, I'm more like the drill sergeant. I'm like going to kick your butt. Like we're going to solve this. We're going to get there. We're going to get done. And it's, mm. it's an adventure. Mm. Well, sounds fun, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Stay safe out there and we'll keep in touch. Michael has been awesome. Thank you so much. the show there is for you today thanks for listening as always you can find me at the bible says what youtube and facebook pages you can also find clips of the show on tiktok under bsw the podcast if you like what you heard and want to help keep the recording light on simply go to patreon.com forward slash bsw the podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show your episodic tithes of a dollar or more will get you early access to each episode by at least three days stickers shirts and shout outs that's patreon.com forward slash bsw the podcast 
For the latest events, BSW swag, including signed copies of The Bible Says What the book, head on over to the show's ever-evolving webpage at thebiblesayswhat.com. And no matter which platform you use to listen to your podcasts, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on the next episode. Until then, would you kindly pick up your Bibles and read them? Next time when the Bible says what? Christ is our substitute. So him, him shedding his blood, when God looks at, at his people, they see Christ and not our sin. And Christ <laughs> is our substitute. That's so gross, Keith. <laughs> Just think about that. Just think about it. He had to cover us in the blood of his son so he sees his son and not our disobedience. You don't. That doesn't sound weird to you? It does sound weird, but yeah. it, okay. it's Good. what it's, <laughs> it, it's it's totally different than anything that would be anything that you and I would do. What you know, we we wouldn't send uh, uh innocent person to die for our sins, but that's what God did. God didn't have to, but He did. God sent an innocent to die, but He didn't have to. If me and you to. sent an innocent to die. And we didn't have to. That would make it a bad thing. But we would have all been condemned.